Hello friends and welcome back. I think I'm going to be on a roll talking more about words as started in the last episode and how that connects with mental health. Mental health being the overall most problematic challenge within the human species simply because of what we are because of the fact that we have this self-conscious mind that is so powerful that can run on its own paying attention to what our senses feed it and what's already stored inside of our mind and get stuck in endless cycles and loops of thinking and dwelling. And so I'd like to connect the dots as to just how words translate into the voice in our head and how the voice in our head exists and gets compared with the ego inside the voice in our head. Again, I'll be saying a lot of things over and over again just to make them clear, hopefully to make it simple, and sometimes by talking about something again, I might come up with new words and perspectives that offer an insight that clicks with you. And believe me, I could talk about what we are almost continuously because it's what I know best. I know who I am to my core and it's ironic that I love words so much. I like speaking, I like writing, I like using words, I like understanding words and yet I'm keenly aware that I have absolutely no words that can tell you who I am. Because who I am is a feeling, and that is beyond words. It is prior to words. I was who I am before I could speak, before my mind had figured out how to relate to the world based on the systems and structures that the world was presenting from early childhood. And so that's kind of where it begins. Because we are so engaged through our mind, it's an innate part of what we are as a species from an early age, from the time we're born, and we are out into the world where our senses have to activate and start to inform us about the world around so that we can understand it and navigate it. We are spoken to, and our mind, well, for the first few months of life has no idea what words are, our brain does what it does. It associates. It takes a sound, and when that sound is spoken in conjunction with our other senses engaging with an object, we begin to make connections. And that's what humans can do more than anything else, any other species, is make those connections and then grow that library of information in a way that we can then think about it in relation to the self in purely an informational way because you're born you're given a name that name is repeated and after a while you get the gist that you are that name that uh, when that word is spoken it's about you and so you file that away and that becomes a way you identify yourself as an object not as a feeling, but as an object. That's the beginning of the disconnect. 
it happens almost immediately, which is why it's such a challenging proposition for human beings. In a world where there's more and more and more information, more words, more communication, and where the subconscious ego has become automatically more selfish, and not in a rude way, just in a way that gets between the feeling of being and relating with the world around us, relating with others. So from early childhood, we inventory the world around us based on words as information. Yes, we do have feelings. We can't help but have feelings. All of our senses tell us that the world is something we feel in order to experience it. But the more time we spend in our mind, the more we identify with the world through information. And information itself isn't a feeling, although it can lead to feelings. And this is where the challenge happens, and most of us aren't aware. We just go with it, because for the majority of our childhood, I'd say up till almost seven years of age, we are information sponges. We don't particularly challenge authority. On one level, we can't, because we're reliant on the parents and the world around us to keep us alive, to nurture us. They should be loving us and trying to experience who we are beyond the words. But that's not something our species has done well enough for long enough, and it's led to where we are today. So what happens when we're young is that we don't just start to believe that these words, these identities are completely valid and represent us who we uh, represent who we are. We put them at the forefront. They become the focus. They become the main filter through which we relate to the world. And so that's the power of the self-conscious mind and also the ego, which is the self-conscious mind's self-conscious mind. The way that we view ourselves within the context of our thinking and how it applies to us as differentiated from our direct contact with life around us, our feelings that come prior to thinking, fear when we're faced with imminent danger, pain when we're physically hurt, emotional pain when we lose something that is important to our life in a tangible way. And we've become ensconced in words to the point where there are so many misunderstandings with communication that I can see I have a lot of work to do to help people break it down within themselves and simplify it because that's where the answer lies is in simplifying it. Now when I kind of came to my full sense of being in 2014, it was all about letting go of the connection to the mind having to be able to label things in order for me to know it exists, to know life is out there, to understand it. And so maybe now I'll just talk a little bit more about exactly what that process was and how it happened for me. Because I know it can help, even though the way I did it for me is going to be uniquely my own. I'm not going to give you rules, guidelines, uh, a two-step program with a guarantee that you know, you're know you going to be self-aware and self-actualized after that. I'm 
aware enough to know that that's not how it works. For me, if you listen to the first podcast, you will understand that from an early age, I had this profound sense that life should be simple. That we shouldn't have to jump through so many hoops in order to feel good, feel free, feel ourselves. And now, even while I was chasing that feeling, I wasn't a sad person. I wasn't depressed my whole life. I wasn't anxious even on a deep level, even though I had my challenges with being shy, with trying to make my own decisions regarding, you know, partners, career, what I wanted to do day in and day out for hobbies, for expression. And from my teen years on, I kind of gave in to doing what I thought I should do. And that's the key to what I thought I should do, not what I felt. Initially, I went to university for business because I was very shy. I knew I was good at math. Everyone I had as an example around me was in the business world. My father, my brother, my brother-in-law. And so on a surface level, it made sense. But I kind of knew I was talking myself into it. Because at the same time I was going to business school, I was also working outdoors on a golf course. And that continued to thread as something I had done since I was a teenager. Working outside, cutting lawns, being somewhat entrepreneurial, and just enjoying being outside and doing physical labor, which is something I adore um, very much. But after a couple of years of business school, I realized I didn't, not that I shouldn't do this, I couldn't do this. It was not innate to my my being. I wanted to be outside. I pictured myself if I was in an office all day and the thought of that was actually more terrifying than confronting my shyness. And so those two things started going hand in hand. I made a decision for myself to pursue horticulture, which is second nature to me. And not completely abandon the business world, but just go, you know, I can use what I need to when I need to. But it can't be a focus for me because there's no feeling in it. It's just not something that that excites me. It doesn't even matter how much money I could make in one field versus the other. That was not part of the equation. Being happy, feeling good about myself, feeling I was doing something that was innately a part of my being was what it was all about. And so I went to horticulture school. I I read more books about plants than they told me to. (laughs) You know, I was so excited to learn. Um, And I learned very easily, very quickly, because I had already been paying attention to nature my whole life and to design, to the bigger picture of things. So a lot of that came very easily to me. And out of that grew a confidence that helped me outgrow my shyness. Now where this story is leading is that even though I went slightly astray from wondering, you know, what that simple thing in life is that we all search for, I started coming back around and those were little steps because they all were attached to who I came into this world as the feeling of being that is me even prior to Steve (laughs) there is that thing about me that is innately me and we all have that you have that I know you've got a touch point for it but maybe it's not deep enough and I'm hoping that my stories and my words will help you re-examine it and close the gap fix the disconnect so that you can feel connected to that feeling of being on a base level at all times because I promise you that's what you're here to do that's what you deserve and that's what life deserves from you and needs from you for you to express that so as the years went on 
I knew I had to do to do more investigation. So I started reading philosophy, started reading some books about religion even. Even though I had always paid attention on a surface level, I made a conscious effort to, to learn. Like, are there answers? Where are there answers? And I never looked thinking I would find an answer. It was more an overall curiosity. Now along that path, I met my second partner who was someone who was also going exactly the same way. And so we ended up spending 13 years together. And during that time, explored so much individually and together, opening our awareness, trying to learn without judgment, and feeling our way through life, giving ourselves permission to not just do what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to be seen as as successful or responsible as. And after 13 years, we actually ended up drifting slightly different ways, which was fine. I was still going deeper and knew that that meant more to me than the material world, material success. And so we parted ways and I went even deeper and I began contemplating, not meditating, because as I talked about in a previous contact, con, <laughs> what am I trying to say here? Previous episode, um, meditating in a formal situation, that structure never actually meant anything to me. I was always of the belief that being myself was actually the goal, and that was a meditative proposition. It didn't have to entail me having a practice. I shouldn't have to practice being me. No one should have to. You should also not have to think about being you because you are a feeling. And so while you can apply those two things as tools to help you express how you experience it, I still can't say that I would condone them as the way to get there. I certainly didn't need it, but contemplation helped immensely. And I like to describe contemplation to people because it can give them a portal into calming their thinking that they maybe haven't had before. So when I started contemplating things, contemplating life, I would set about a simple question. And the basic question for me for years was, what would nature do? What would nature think? And I would try and picture myself in the stillness of a forest or in some setting and just be there and wonder if I was there and the trees are there, what do we have in common? How are we experiencing this the same? You know, with, with realizing I'm not a tree and a tree doesn't have my capacity to think. There still must be a commonality because we we live in this planet, on this planet, in this universe, where there's this energy, this life force, whatever you want to call it, which is always there, always keeping things connected, tying things together, allowing the unfolding of life to happen and supporting it. And so I would contemplate nature. And not just my nature, nature. The point was to get outside of myself. And in the months leading up to 2014, I started being a little more specific. I would ask myself about the thoughts in my head and how nature would think. Like if I was to get rid of my thoughts and think like nature, what would I think? What would I feel? How would I access knowing who I am in relation to the world around me? And I felt so close in the fall of 2013 doing exactly that a couple times. I, you know, had these 
spine-tingling moments and this very lightness in my heart, which I knew was a reflection of being very close to being very self-aware without even having to try. And yet, I knew enough not to push to latch onto it and go, ooh, I just discovered something. I better develop that. I better focus on that. I better think about that. For whatever reason, I knew that wasn't the thing to do because that would actually recapture myself in my mind when I knew the way to figure this out isn't through the mind. It's beyond mind. It's transcending the mind. Because in all my studies, I knew from other examples, from reading about the human being, reading our biology, reading our, our um, evolution, that our mind is just a part of us. That, to me, always seemed self-evident. Same thing with um, anything that comes from the mind. You know, government structures, money, science even. A lot of people hold science at the, in the highest regard. And now I know that's only because it came from our mind and our ego is going, wow, look at what I thought of, science. And yet science can only explain things to a certain degree. Because science is within us. It comes out of us. So we must be bigger than science. Because there's things about us, the way we work, that science still can't explain, perhaps it never will. And even if it does, that doesn't mean we need to dwell there. We're still here to experience a life as feeling beings. So back to the evolution of disconnecting from my thoughts. A natural quieting in my mind would happen, which had happened over the years anyway, by, you know, being more present, um, allowing myself to have an open awareness, which I'll speak about more deeply in another episode, which means just allowing your senses to do what they do without anything else having to happen for it to be valid. You know, a lot of people think the answer is within the mind to figure out the mind, but that's a bit of an insane concept. Because the mind can't know what it doesn't know that you're searching for, which is actually beyond it. It just can't. And I know that now. Because that's exactly what happened during that meditation slash contemplation about focusing on nature and, more pointedly, a bear experiencing being in nature. When I let go of my sense of self so thoroughly that the bigger picture was that Hmm. no thought is needed at all in order for all of this to be happening and for me to know it and experience it. Because a bear certainly doesn't. A bear doesn't have our self-conscious level of thought in, in a way that we form words, label things. Like a bear looks at the forest and doesn't have to think about it, but it's still the forest. Only the word forest, if you can understand what I'm trying to tell you, does not exist within the consciousness of a bear, and yet it's extremely real. And that's what I connected to in that contemplation, was the fact that, wow, it's the same for me, only because I'm human, my mind does what it does. It does its job. Its job is to look at the outside world, take what our senses provide, inventory it, turn it into a nugget of information, so that I can then use it later. And that is what is called thinking. Connecting information that's stored in, within our mind 
in order to come up with a new connection, a new thought, a new idea. And our mind loves to do that. So much so that it's been kind of on autopilot within our species for eons. As I'm sure you will probably attest that your mind is on autopilot way too much for you for your own liking because it doesn't always help. And that's the key here is not to not to um, vilify the mind, but to put it in its place. Because I'll be the first to attest that how incredible our mind is, how amazing it is, how interesting it is, how fascinating it is, how helpful it can be or can seem to be. After all, it's created the world around us that when we're born into it, we innately think, this is it. This is everything the way it's supposed to be. And yet everything that society, human society has created from the human mind is exactly that. It's created. It's manufactured. It's been built up. It's been built out of nature. Our nature has taken the nature and reduced it to components, then rebuilt it into what we see. And man, we are extremely good at that because our mind is extremely adept at thinking. And yet, thinking can't do the most essential thing that you're here to do, and that is experience yourself. You are who you are, who you are, who you are. I will never tell you who you are. Because I can't. You have to show me by expressing yourself. That could come through words, and it can help, but more so than that, it's the way you do things. It's the look in your eye. It's that feeling you exude when you are full of yourself in a non-egotistical way. And so that contemplation for me was a huge letting go of needing to use the mind and needing to use words as labels, as identifiers, even myself. You know, I for weeks after I laughed at this this um, entity called Steve that everyone knows, and they know him as Steve. And yes, a lot of people know me, and that's what I want to give a lot of us credit for. We we do get that feeling of being beneath the words about who we are. We just don't spend enough time focusing there for it to be real enough that we trump the feelings that come from thoughts. And so, in that year of 2014, that happened, and for Six, seven months after, I was in an ecstatic inner state of being. Now, it wasn't like I was, you know, doing cartwheels all the time physically in the world. It didn't need to be expressed very much. It was a feeling. You can sit there in stillness and feel absolutely free, peaceful, fantastic, beyond words. The interesting thing that happened to me was that I had a backslide into thinking that I didn't expect. And I'll describe this in, in one of the next episodes because this is fascinating and it gives me a huge insight into the connection between mind, body, spirit that I haven't seen before. But the key takeaway for this episode is how thinking innately, just thinking can be the biggest mental health challenge that humans will ever experience. And I describe it this way. When your thinking is aligned with your spirit of being, in other words, like when I chose to go to school for horticulture because I wanted to be outside, the thinking that allowed that to happen wasn't like this grueling thinking process. It was natural. And thinking in that capacity was fine because it was aligned with my being. 
So when your thinking is aligned with your being and your consequent doing, there's nothing wrong with thinking, nothing at all. It's when that's not happening that mental health challenges arise. And just about everyone on the planet has a mental health challenge in that capacity to some degree. But just by virtue of the fact that we are what we are. It's no one's fault. It's the way we have evolved an inner mental state that has taken over our focus for a long, long time. And of course, through my example and my consistent feeling in that state for the last seven years, I'm here to reassure you that getting back there is not as complicated as, you know, the story of Siddhartha and the subsequent religion that the mind made out of the teachings. Same thing could be said of Jesus. Same could be said of many who had an actual experience of being that was then picked up by the mind very shortly thereafter and made into an egotistical proposition, losing the entire point. And I hope you get that feeling from me that I'm not here to set down any doctrines to talk about anything. I want you to realize how bloody simple this can be for any human being to realize and to feel and to just continue living and experience it. It doesn't have to then revert back to some mind-based proposition of self-importance about knowing something. In fact, not doing that keeps it very real. And I know that very deeply. And soon after that experience in 2014, and for the last seven years, I've been paying attention to life, to the world, analyzing challenges humans have and have had, helping people along the way, and fully realizing that the disconnect between thinking and feeling is the greatest challenge humans have. It is the beginning of any mental health challenge. It's the beginning of anxiety. Anxiety is holding thoughts in your head and not being decisive. Trouble is people don't know what to be decisive about if they don't know who they are and don't value it to a big enough degree that they just do it without having to explain it to anyone, without having to prove it, without having to have words to justify it. Because you don't have to. You just have to live it. And when you're living it for yourself and you show up in that essence, the world around you has no choice but to accept it. And I've seen this happen with many people on many levels. That's one of the things I try to help people with is to show up completely present and valid in their feeling of being in situations that previously they didn't know how to navigate because the voice in their head told them how they th should be behaving according to the expectations of others, the expectations of society, the expectations of the future even, of the future version of themselves. We can get that trapped in our mind that we lose that direct connection. And for a lot of people, it's going to be about experiencing that direct connection for the first time since either childhood or those times in life when we do drop our thinking because we're absolutely ensconced in what we're doing. We're aligned with something, you know, we're doing something where we don't have time to think. We're, you know, doing 
a sport, practicing music, playing in a band, doing something where, and we all know these things, and these are touch points that I want you to contemplate for yourself, is when have you not had to think? And as a byproduct, you just knew you were okay. You knew who you were. Because it's hard to go back to the earliest feeling of that because that's when you were a child and we lose the memory of those feelings because we're supposed to. As a child, we're not supposed to inventory everything for the first couple years of life and remember it in detail. We're learning at that point how the world around us works. We're supposed to be nurtured within who we are and not have that covered up so much that it's a challenge later in life. And this is a huge paradigm shift for the future, but it is the one that our species will undertake at some point when we enough of us value ourselves enough that we also won't challenge others in expressing who they are. So if you're experiencing anxiety on that level, the key is to stop. Stop thinking so much. How do you stop thinking so much? Be decisive. How do you come to a decision. What do you attach that to? Your feeling of being, your moral compass. What and who do you want to be that you don't have to explain, but you can live with it in any moment? And no matter what actions you take, you're still okay with that. Knowing that you're a real person in the world, you can't not act. You can't please everyone. If you do it with that best intention from feeling a being, that's a starting point that you can hold with you at all times. If you then do something and the consequence of it is something that doesn't turn out the way you want or someone challenges you back, that's life. You keep responding to it. You change as needed. Just because I have a deep feeling of being doesn't mean I'm not going to offend someone in some situation or do my work in a way that my client doesn't... Um, wish it to be. I adjust and I trust myself to adjust. I don't have to be anxious about it because I don't have to think about it as it relates to me and my expectations, my ego. Do you see? I'll be going very much into anxiety, unnecessary stress, and depression and how these things are interlinked. Ooh, I made up a word. Interrelinked interlinked and how we can transcend them very naturally the key to which is to just be yourself the key to which is knowing where does that self come from because it doesn't come from your mind because you didn't have thoughts in your mind before you were yourself okay and that's a guarantee the path back there takes some work trust me i did about 16 years worth of work um, I've got a friend who just experienced a radical breakthrough. She took nine years. I see other people on the path that have been working at it for a long time. I see people that are make very quick, profound changes after one discussion. And they realize an idea in their head was ridiculous, and they, they don't need to accept that anymore. Fear of death is a good example. It's an irrational fear about something that's going to happen at some point anyway. You don't know when, but so what? If you're afraid of dying, you also subsequently aren't embracing living, which means you're a little afraid of living. You're afraid of what you do 
because it will be judged by yourself or by others. But if it comes from a deep place of knowing, that fear innately disappears because you trust yourself. You trust yourself to do what you're doing now, and you trust yourself to adjust as you get feedback and pushback from the world around you. So I'll stop rambling. I think that's enough for you to contemplate for today. And in fact, that could be the deepest thing you ever contemplate that once you realize who you are and transcend it, you can file that one away and you're done. Then you turn your life into experiencing life because we are experiential beings. We don't have to be thinking and doing. We can be experiencing, then thinking and doing. And again, I'll keep clarifying that as I speak about these issues, especially in regards to mental health and mental health challenges. Because that year of 2014 spawned a few books, most of which were written that year and are mostly complete, but um, just got put aside for some uh, a few years while I addressed some personal health issues with regard to my own energy level and uh, whatnot within which I was still 100% Steve and more than Steve. But the physical expression of it was challenged by some, uh, yeah, actual real-life things that had been there my whole life. A story for another day as well. But I want you to realize who you are for yourself, not for me, without having to prove it. And believe me when I say, You don't have to think about who you are. You are who you are. You don't have to prove who you are. You are who you are. No one else even has to know it 100% because you are actually the only one who can know it 100% until two of us connect on that level. And then we exist together in peace and harmony. And that will lay the foundation for more and more people being able to do the same. Someday... I actually know that'll happen with the human species. Right now, we're at the most challenging time for that, and it's getting harder because we're surrounded by more and more mind, ego, wanting to control the human species and the systems and structures that it has made that it values so much. (laughs) Lots to say there, but... Take good care of yourself. The real yourself. The one that doesn't need any words to describe it. It's in there. Go find it. Hello, fellow humans, and thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, Ever since I got this thing started, which was years in the making, I've been excited about uh, doing this, and only this. What gives me the most pleasure in life is helping others help themselves, and it's actually what I know the best despite all the other things I've studied for and uh, have had as careers, as experiences, as hobbies, as connections with life, this is it. So to that end, if you'd like to experience, if you'd like to support a very simple human doing this, it doesn't take much for me to survive, and anything over and above that that I ever make from this will always go back into helping others directly. And you can support me, by finding me on Red Circle Podcasts, which may be where you're listening. Uh, There's a donating information there. I also have an account with something called LibraPay, where you can find me as Steve Alat, or you can send uh, 
a donation through PayPal, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. If any of those aren't sufficient or fail, send me an email. Again, steve at illuminatingthedisconnect.com. We can figure something out. And uh, thanks for listening. I really, really hope it helps. And if it does, do send me a message. Thanks for your support.